0: Well, good morning to you all. And a happy Mother's Day to everyone. For some of you, this is a very happy day. You should enjoy it. You should have a good meal. But for some of you, I am aware that this could be a painful day. And I just want to remind you your Father sees you, and you are loved. On April 14th, 1970, Jack Swigert made a statement that was recorded in history and was later immortalized in a movie. And the statement is this, Houston, we have a problem. I'd like to modify that statement just for the purposes of the sermon this morning, and I'd like to say this humanity, we have a problem. Now, why do I say that? Well, if you simply look around, you can't help but notice that something is very wrong. We can't help but notice that. We look around and we see in the news, we see crime, we see war, we see corruption, we see selfishness, and I could go on, a host of so many things that verify the truth that something is very wrong. There's evil in the world. Why? Socrates believed that evil was a result of ignorance. And that's actually a popular opinion even today. There's an article entitled Evil, and its root cause on linkedin.com that states this, It is human ignorance. All manner of evil is done as blind spots of awareness, hence human ignorance, rationalization, lack of awareness, denial, lack of awareness, and emotional reasoning, ignorance. All manner of evil has been done by the former with the cause of ignorance and lack of empathy. Is that true? Is ignorance the reason behind the problem, behind the evil that pervades our world today? Is it merely a lack of ignorance and thus the answer is more and better education? We're continuing to work through our series in Mark entitled Divine Servant. And what we've looked at so far is we've looked at Jesus as he has taught us, as he has done miracles, as he has chosen disciples, as he has sparred with the Pharisees. And what we see over and over again is evidence that points to Jesus' identity, that he is divine, he is God. And last time, we dealt with the Pharisees and how they acted in legalistic ways in a vain attempt to keep themselves religiously pure. They believed they could be defiled from without from coming into contact with unclean things or not following rituals and rules that would purify them. When the problem was, they were ignoring the real issue. They were ignoring the heart. The problem we face is not that externals corrupt. In other words, what's on the outside cannot corrupt what's on the inside. And therefore, external attempts to clean oneself, like rules and rituals, are ineffective. Humanity, we have a problem, but what's the real problem? Where does evil really come from? Is it external? Is it a result of poor education? What is it? Well, this morning, I want to propose from our text that the issue of evil, the problem that we have as humans, is this it's the human heart. The human heart is corrupt. It is corrupt by sin. And what can we do about that? I want to relay three things about the human heart this morning, but before I go on, I want to define the human heart for you. I want to define the human heart because you probably know that I'm not talking about the organ that pumps blood. I'm talking about the inner self. And I've said this before, but in Hebrew thought, the heart was the seat of the mind, emotions, and will. One commentator says the heart is the center of human personality. It is the true you, you might say. And I hate to be the one to tell you this, but the true you is broken. John Bloom, in his book, Don't Follow Your Heart, writes this. The truth is... No one lies to us more than our own hearts. They are not benevolent. They are pathologically selfish. That's your heart, and that's my heart. So what can we do about this? How can we fix the human heart? I want to give you three things about that this morning. Now, you may recall from last week, that Jesus had been approached by the Pharisees and scribes, and they had an issue with his disciples not eating with defiled hands or hands that had not been washed according to their religious rituals. And in that exchange, you may notice from last week, Jesus didn't answer their question. He just goes straight after their legalistic practices and not worshiping the Lord, truly worshiping the Lord. But as we get into our text today we see that Jesus is now going to more or less deal with their question by explaining what really defiles a person. So join me in Mark chapter 7, verse 14. And he, this is Jesus, called the people to him again and said to them, Hear me, all of you, and understand. There is nothing outside a person that by going into him can defile him, but the things that come out of a person are what defile him. How can we fix the human heart? Here's your first point. Recognize the problem is within. Recognize the problem is within. In answering the Pharisees, Jesus calls the people to him. He wants to explain something, not just to the Pharisees, but to everyone. Now, once again, I said this last week, excuse me, we're not told where this is. We're not told exactly what's been going on. Presumably, Jesus is in Galilee. He's possibly in Capernaum. And I think it's safe to assume, based upon the fact that he calls the people to him, it's safe to assume there's a crowd. Secondly, because there's always a crowd where Jesus is. And he turns the, takes the Pharisees' question, and he turns this into a teaching moment. Jesus says, hear me, all of you, and understand, there is nothing outside a person that by going into him can defile him, but the things that come out of a person are what defile him. Now, we do not understand how shocking of a statement that would have been to Jesus' original hearers. So the Jews had grown up their entire lives being warned about what kinds of things would defile them. And just to remind you, that word defile means common. In the Old Testament law, there was a division between holy things and common things. There were things that were set aside to be used for the Lord, and they had to be consecrated in order to make them holy. For example, in Exodus 29, Moses takes his brother Aaron and consecrates him. He brought brought Aaron and his sons to the entrance of the tent of meeting. They had to be washed They had to be dressed in the priestly robes, they had to don a turban, they had to be anointed with oil, and then they had to make sacrifices. It was all very detailed, it was a very involved process to consecrate them and make them holy, make them useful to the Lord. So there was this division between holy things and common things, but to be defiled also meant to be declared ceremoniously unclean. And we've talked about that, how the Israelites had situations that would render them ceremoniously unclean, and that's what Jesus is alluding to here. There was this division of being clean and unclean, and the Jews would avoid anything that would make them unclean. And that included, there was a list of things, that included things that they couldn't eat because they were unclean, it included things they couldn't do, like touch dead bodies, which would make them unclean. There was this whole list of things, and they tried to avoid them because if someone became unclean... It was honestly an inconvenience. They had to wash. They had to remain outside the camp or they had to remain outside the city for a certain amount of time before they could go back in again. That was their life. That was their culture. There were these divisions of holy and common, these divisions of clean and unclean. That's what they lived in. That's what they grew up as. That was their norm. Everything they did was influenced by those things. And then Jesus comes along and he says, No. Nothing from the outside can defile you or make you unclean. This would have blown their minds. This would have caused them to stop and think, what? What's he talking about? This would be like me coming up to you and saying, hey, the sun revolves around the earth. If I made that statement to you, you'd think, we should check on what's in Ryan's coffee. This is an astounding statement to the first century Jew. And what Jesus is saying is it's not with the outside. It's not what's on the outside that defiles a person. You don't become unclean by anything from the outside, no food, no dead bodies, nothing. And you know what? You know what's interesting? Jesus was never unclean. All the Jews around him as he was growing up experienced uncleanliness at times. Every one of them did. But Jesus was never unclean. Although his life should have been a life of uncleanliness, think about it. He ate with sinners and tax collectors. He touched lepers. He was touched by sick people all the time. He put his hands on dead people. His life should have been wrought by being unclean, but it wasn't. Why? Because Jesus cannot be made unclean. The kingdom of God is at hand. That's his message. The king is here, and he's cleaning house, so to speak. He can't be made unclean, and he comes along and says, it's not what's on the outside, but what's on the inside. It's what comes out of a person. That's what defiles him. So what Jesus is saying here is, you have a bigger problem than you realize. You have a heart problem. Now this is all Jesus says to the crowd. Did you notice that? This is all he says to the crowd. It's not what's outside of you, it's what's inside of you. He doesn't expand on it, he doesn't add to it, he just says that that statement that seems to the people out of left field and then he just walks off. Jesus comes and he says this mind-blowing statement, and then look at verse 16. It's not there, is it? If you have an ESV or an NIV Bible, you'll look down and you'll see 15, 17. Somebody had a problem when they were counting the verses. Actually, that's not the issue. 16, in some translation, has been removed, but don't panic. Don't panic, okay? This verse is actually not included in the more reliable manuscripts that we have. Now, if you don't know, the New Testament is made up of thousands of manuscripts written over a course of several hundred years, and that's how we get the New Testament. Now, we have some manuscripts that are a lot older and thus more reliable than others. They're more reliable because they were written at a time that was closer to when the events actually happened. And verse 16 doesn't show up till some of the later manuscripts. So some believe that a scribe added verse 16 at a later time. Do you want to know what verse 16 says? It's not shocking. It says this. Anyone who has ears to hear, let him hear. Jesus said that at other times but the point is this whether mark included verse 16 or not originally it doesn't change the message it doesn't change the message at all jesus is still making the point that defilement comes from without or from within not from without but if you want to play a great trick on someone hand them an esv or niv bible and say hey look up mark 7 16 and then watch their face But what do we do with what Jesus is saying here? We recognize that the true problem is within. We have to come to realize that it's not what's out there that causes sin. It's what's in here. See, it happened first in Genesis 3. Adam and Eve, they eat the forbidden fruit, which, by the way, they eat the forbidden fruit which was inside or outside of them? Outside. Does this invalidate Jesus' point? Stick with me. Adam and Eve, they eat the forbidden fruit, and the text says in Genesis 3, it says this, then the eyes of opened them, both of them were opened, and they knew they were naked. So does that invalidate what Jesus is saying here? Because the sin came from without, didn't it? Innocence was lost. Well, wait a minute, let's back up. Back up in Genesis 3, because even before that, the serpent deceived the woman, and verse 6 states this. So when the woman saw that the tree was good for food and that it was a delight to the eyes and that the tree was to be desired to make one wise, she took of its fruit and ate and she gave also some to her husband who was with her and he ate. There's some interesting verbs there. The woman saw that it was good. It was a delight to the eyes and it was desired to make one wise. Something was happening in her heart before she took the fruit. This temptation, it's interesting, it actually appeals to three things. It appeals to her physical senses, she saw it. It appeals to her emotional senses, it was a delight. And it appeals to her intellectual senses, it was desired to make one wise. Something was going on inside of her even before she took and ate that fruit, and that's where the sin started. And don't think Adam is guiltless. Where is Adam in this whole thing? With her. And remember, the woman was deceived by the serpent, but Adam knew what he was doing. Both sins started in the heart. The real problem is that sin exists in the human heart. The problem is the heart is broken. It's broken by sin, it's corrupt, and that's the problem. The problem is that we as human beings, are messed up. So the first thing that we have to do is we have to come to this realization that my problems are not out there. They're in here. Now let me tell you, some of you may be tempted to argue with me on that. It's, it's only natural to argue that, no, 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 I'm not the problem. I'm a good person. It's an easy truth. It's not an easy truth to swallow that, no, no, you are the problem. It's one of the reasons why it's such a difficult Truth to swallow is because in our culture, we are told time and time again, follow your heart. That's the trope of Western culture. Follow your heart. The power is within you, Luke. Trust yourselves. And other such nonsense that really just gets us into trouble. And we have to get beyond what our culture tells us. We are the problem. So first thing, Recognize the problem is within. Secondly, accept that exteriors can't help me. Accept that exteriors can't help me. Join me in verse 17. And when he had entered the house and left the people, his disciples asked him about the parable. And he said to them, Then are you also without understanding? Do you not see that whatever goes into a person from outside cannot defile him, since it enters not his heart, but his stomach, and is expelled? Thus he declared all foods clean. Now imagine the scene with me for a moment. Jesus has just dropped a bomb. He's just dropped a bomb on the people, and then without further explanation, he goes into the house. He says, true defilement comes not from without, without, but from within. Boom, mic drop, and he walks away. So Jesus goes into the house. Thank you, Mark. That was as clear as mud. We have no idea which house this is. Now possibly if he's back at Capernaum, this possibly could be Peter's house, but we don't know. But what is interesting about the book of Mark, several times in the book of Mark, he makes this connection between being indoors, being in a house, and receiving the revelation of Jesus Christ. Let me explain. Mark does this twice in Mark chapter nine and again in chapter 10 where Jesus is teaching on the outside but then he goes into a house and he further explains to his disciples. And Mark seems to be drawing an illustration here that when he teaches on the outside, there are those who are on the outside that don't get it but when they come to the inside, when they receive his teaching, when they pursue his teaching, he expounds it to them. He reveals it to them. So he leaves the people possibly scratching their heads, and then he goes into the house and his disciples come to him and they tell him to explain the parable. Now before that, we're told a little bit more in Matthew chapter 15. Matthew 15 tells us that the disciples came to him and the first thing they said was, don't you know the Pharisees were offended by that? To which Jesus replies, I don't give a hoot. Actually, he doesn't say that. What he really says is, let them alone, they are blind guides. But the disciples here, they ask him about the parable, and Jesus says, Then are you also without understanding? Don't you get it too? Or don't you get it either? And then Jesus further explains that nothing from without can defile a person. Why? Well, Jesus uses the example here of food. In the case of food, this is what he's talking about. He says quite plainly, food comes in, it gets digested, and it comes out. And by the way, that's a clean way to say it. The word expelled there actually means like going into a latrine. The translators clean that up a bit. But the point that Jesus is making is this. That stuff on the outside, it doesn't enter the heart. We're not contaminated by what's out there. You know, oftentimes, we try to protect our kids from bad influences. And my wife and I have tried to protect our kids from negative influences in music, books, movies, and other things. And that's a good thing. You should raise your kids as you feel the Holy Spirit convicting you to do so. But can I share something with you? It's not what we are exposed to that contaminates us. My children did not need those negative influences in order to learn how to sin. They came with that ability, batteries included. Why? Because it's not what we're exposed to that contaminates. We come contaminated. What enters from the outside, Jesus says, does not enter the heart, but the stomach, and is expelled. And then we get to this short parenthetical phrase, thus he declared all foods clean. Everybody see that? What's going on there? Remember the context is what truly defiles, and Jesus has been using food as an example of outward things and how they cannot defile a person or make them unclean. Moses had been given a list of animals that the Israelites were not to eat because they were unclean. And this list can be found in Deuteronomy chapter 14. It includes things like camels, like, like fish without scales, like eagles, vultures, bats, you know, things that you would find on the Culver's menu. <laughs> but what Mark is saying here is that Jesus has now declared all those things clean. There is no longer a list of clean and unclean animals. And interestingly enough, church tradition believed that Peter actually dictated to Mark, and Mark wrote the gospel down. And if that's true, then there's an interesting connection to this statement and what happened to Peter in Acts chapter 10? You may remember, he had a vision of a sheet that came down from heaven with all kinds of unclean animals on it, and God tells Peter, kill and eat. And at first Peter is saying, I'm not gonna I've never eaten anything unclean. I won't eat anything unclean. And God gives Peter this vision, and what God says here it says, What God has declared as clean, do not call unclean. So it was a message to Peter mainly about God receiving the Gentiles, but it was a side message that now any critter has been labeled unclean and is edible. Why is this important? Well, consider this question. What gives Jesus the authority to invalidate the law of Moses? The law was given to Moses by God. So the only one who can invalidate it is God. And if Acts 10 tells us not to call unclean what God has called clean, then all this points to the identity of Jesus Christ. He is God. He alone has the right to change the dietary laws. So Jesus, in the midst of explaining where true defilement comes from, declares all foods clean. So go home and roast yourself a bat this afternoon. (laughs) Or maybe not. The point Nothing without can contaminate. Don't think that watching explicit TV shows makes me a sinner. Or joining in the crowd in belittling someone makes me a sinner. Or doing that thing, whatever that thing, that's what makes me a sinner. No. No outward action can make you a sinner. All the outward action stems from an inward problem. It's not the other way around. We're not sinners because of what we do. We do sinful things because of what we are. We are sinners. Our hearts are contaminated. It's not the externals that corrupt the human heart. We hear messages from our world all the time like this. It's your parents' fault. It's society's fault. It's government's fault. That's why you are the way you are. It's a lack of education. You were born this way. That's why you're so messed up. It's all these external influences that have caused you to be this way and do these horrible things. I'm here to tell you that message is incorrect. Now hear me on something because I'm not saying that these things don't have any kind of influence. Of course they do. We are influenced by externals, but these externals do not make us sinners. We sin because we have defiled hearts, unclean hearts. And people have done horrible things after they were influenced by horrible teaching or because they were exposed to awful things. Yes, I am not denying that. All of those things play a role in shaping the human psyche, but it's not the root cause. They add fuel to the fire, yes, but they didn't start the spark. Externals do not corrupt the human heart. Now, what do we do with this? We stop blaming everyone and everything else. We stop pointing fingers at our parents or our background or whatever influences our upbringing, our education, the government, the bosses, the spouses, the children. We stop pointing our fingers, even though these things may play a part. We stop pointing the fingers at these things, and we also stop pointing the fingers at our own struggles. Let me be real with you. 20 years ago, I can't believe it's been that long, 20 years ago, I was diagnosed with adult ADD. Some of you may be like, yeah, I saw that a mile away. (laughs) Do you know how many times I've blamed that on things? Now, sure, it contributes, and I'm not minimalizing anybody's struggle, but you see, that's not my real problem. We need to stop pointing our fingers at these issues, these things in our lives. They're problematic, yes. And in some cases, they're debilitating, absolutely, depending on the severity of whatever it is. But my friends, that issue is not your real problem. And you can't blame the sin in your life on that thing. Think about this. To blame some physical, mental, or emotional issue on why you sin, on why you're so messed up is ultimately to blame God who shaped you and gave that to you as a means to lean on him. Remember the thorn in Paul's side. He prayed that God would take it away three times and what did God say? My grace is sufficient for you. I gave that to you so you would depend on me and my grace. Jesus says, when it comes to food, food just passes through the natural digestive system. It doesn't enter the heart and corrupt the heart. But the opposite is also true. Externals can't enter the heart and fix the problem. They can't enter the heart and corrupt the heart because the heart is already, already corrupt, but they also can't enter the heart and fix the problem. Externals do not corrupt the heart, so stop blaming them. But just as significant, externals cannot fix the heart. Not ultimately. So let me encourage you, stop looking for external solutions to an internal problem. And I've been there. You know, this new book that I've got is going to unlock the reason behind my issues and set me free. Maybe I didn't say that, but I thought that. You know, this, this study over here is going to be the key that unlocks my freedom. This relationship is going to be the key. This medication is going to be the key. This technology is going to be the key. This is going to be the thing that I've been looking for to help me. These things can be helpful... They can give good advice. They can point the way. But these things in and of themselves are not the way. They cannot ultimately fix the heart. So how can I fix my heart? We have to recognize the problems within. We have to accept that externals cannot help. And lastly, let me give you one more. Admit you cannot help you. Admit you cannot help you. Look at verse 20 with me. And he said, what comes out of a person is what defiles him. For from within, out of the heart of man, come evil thoughts, sexual immorality, theft, murder, adultery, coveting, wickedness, deceit, sensuality, envy, slander, pride, foolishness. All these things come from within and they defile a person. It's not what comes from without. It's what comes from within. And what is it that comes from within? Jesus gives us a list here, and the first thing he says, you may notice, the first thing he says is evil thoughts, and that's the foundation. That's the foundation for all these sins that he lists here. Remember in Genesis 6, God chooses to destroy the earth with a flood. Why? Because verse 5 says, Every intention of the thought of his, man's heart, was only evil continually. It starts with the thoughts. Our hearts are contaminated, and because of that, evil thoughts permeate it, and from those evil thoughts come the rest of this list. Sexual immorality, theft, murder, adultery, coveting, wickedness, deceit, sensuality, evil, slander, pride, foolishness. I'm just going to pick these apart really quickly. The list here appears to have two categories, two, I would say, loose categories. The first six, you could say, are action words. Sexual immorality, which is from the Greek porneia. It refers to general, general sexual sins. Theft, of course, is stealing. Murder, taking someone's life. Adultery, which is sexual sin specific to violating a marriage. Covening is desiring someone else's possessions or something about their life. And wickedness there is general word that encompasses any number of malicious acts. And these are the things, by the way, that would have been echoed in the Ten Commandments. And the disciples may have even picked up on that and thought to themselves, absolutely, those absolutely contaminate, they're in the Ten Commandments. The next set of sins, however, that come out of the man's heart, these are more attitudes, attitudes, deceit, being deceptive sensuality, which is a word that can be translated licentious. It means to disregard the rules. It's a word that we can often associate with that as the word lust. Envy here would literally literally be translated an evil eye. It's jealousy. Slander is the word blasphemy, which we all know is abusive speech toward God, but it also conveys slanderous speech toward other people. Pride is arrogance and feelings of superiority, and foolishness is a general term for moral folly and senselessness. It's someone who ignores God's authority. All of these things come from evil thoughts, which are generated from a broken heart. Jesus has just listed out the sins we see in this world. By looking around, you can find these sins anywhere in the world. And that's what tells us, humanity, we have a problem. These are the rotten fruit that grow from a defiled heart. Now, at this point, you might look at my outline there and see that I've given you three things about the human heart, but I didn't tell you how to fix the problem. You might think to yourself, I see this outline, but there's no fix here. Correct. You cannot help you when your heart is broken. You can't do it. You can't fix it. Why? Because it's a problem beyond human ability to solve. Just like the person in cardiac arrest who cannot perform CPR in themselves, so the person whose heart is corrupt cannot purify themselves. It's like filth, trying to wash away filth. It can't be done. There are not enough good things you can do to heal your own heart. There are not enough religious rituals you could perform to heal your corrupt heart. There are not enough generous things that you could do to fix what's broken so deep down inside. The problem is the human heart. It's a problem not you nor I can solve. And though we search and we search, do we not? We perilously seek to fix our hearts only to realize it's beyond our ability. And just when we think we found the magic cure, something that's going to remedy the brokenness within, It fails to deliver. Jeremiah the prophet says, the heart is deceitful above all things and desperately sick. Who can understand it? It's the center of all our problems. It's yours, mine, society's, all human problems stem from the heart. It's broken and the horrible news is you can't mend it. Sometimes we get to the point where we realize there's nothing I can do about this, and so we turn to something else. We turn to try to drown out the problem since we can't solve the problem. So we try to drown it by immersing ourselves in pleasure or work or material wealth or family or hobbies or substance or relationships or good deeds or you name it. But we fail and fail and fail every time to try to fix our own hearts. And sometimes... We only make the situation worse. And this might lead us to despair. What's the point if my heart is corrupt and there is nothing that I can do about it? Now, I know what you're thinking right now. Boy, I'm glad to came to church this morning. What an encouragement. (laughs) Actually, you're probably thinking, okay, when is he going to get to the catch? What do we do with all this? Well, if the problem is in me and not out there, if the problem wasn't caused by externals and externals can't fix the problem, if the problem stems from my own corrupt, wicked heart and there's nothing I can do about it, then I have to find someone who can. Who is that? Psalm 147.3 reads, He heals the brokenhearted and binds up their wounds. Psalm 73 26, my flesh and my heart may fail, but God is the strength of my heart and my portion forever. The answer is not out there. The answer is sure not in here. The answer is the one who created the human heart. The answer is Jesus Christ. He is the only one with the ability to cure the incurable to fix the unfixable. And how does he do this? How does Jesus heal the brokenhearted? He does it. He can do it because of who he is. He is God. He who had the power to say, you can now eat anything, he is the one who has the power to fix the problem within. He had the power to change the law because he was the one who wrote the law. He could change what no Pharisee could change, though they had so many rules. He can purify what no Pharisee could purify, though they followed so many rituals. He can heal what no one can heal because he created it, and he did the work to redeem it. Christ's death and resurrection can heal the brokenhearted because that work was what was needed for God to reestablish his relationship with us and begin his work to restore us. He can change it. He made it. He died and rose to set it free. So you have to recognize that the problem was within, that externals cannot help you, that you cannot help you, but Jesus can. And you need to meditate on that truth. Meditate on the truth of who Jesus is and everything that he did on the cross and in the grave, and that will be the thing that over time purifies our hearts. Meditate on that truth every single day, and what you'll notice is you'll notice God eking out the evil and purifying and filling it with His love and His goodness. Humanity, we have a problem, but Jesus is the answer. Bow with me in prayer. Jesus, healer of our broken hearts. Forgive us for thinking the problem is outside us. We are the problem. Forgive us for looking to blame externals and for looking to externals to fix what only you can fix. Forgive us for thinking we can do anything to fix what only you can fix. Lord, though many of us in this room already profess you as Lord and Savior, we still deal with brokenness in our hearts Help us heal the brokenness. Help us look to you every single day. Draw us closer to you until the day we look into your face and we are then whole. Keep us in your healing hands. We pray in Jesus' name.